Welcome to Interparty Conflict, the podcast where we answer your questions so you can have the best tabletop gaming experience possible. My name is Gabe. And my name is Jeff. And we're going to answer your questions today. But first, before all that, yeah. Jeff, uh-huh. I have a question. You do? It's a very important question. Okay. And it's for you. Ooh. For me? How are you doing? Oh, uh, doing doing pretty good. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. Been very busy, but... Uh, you know, it's all good. All good. I mentioned last week that I was redoing my bathroom. I got that all taken care of. Right. Yes. Had to call a plumber. <laughs> I was hoping to get it all done myself. But hey, hey, when, it, when, it, when it comes to like leaks and stuff like that, you want to make sure you get that done right so that yeah. you're not having like, you don't want water damage or mold or anything like that going yeah. on. But and, you end and, up seeing something five years later that could have been avoided. Right. You right. Know? And some of the stuff, if I had known what to do, I could have done it myself. Sure. I, like a, a couple of the seals on the, the the pipes. I could. I just had the seals on wrong. Mm-hmm. But some of the other stuff I wouldn't have known how to do myself. And so I – whatever. It's it's done. It's over with. And now we have an awesome bathroom. Cool. Uh, Also, another cool thing. I got my copy of the Dark Souls board game that I I backed on Kickstarter last year. Cool. So it is pretty awesome. I'm pretty sure after we're done recording, you and I and our friend Steve are going to go test it out. Yeah, yeah. So that – should be pretty cool. Well, we should say none of us have looked into the, the, the oh no, not at all the rules I've, or anything at all yet. I've had a PDF of the rules for a couple months now, <laughs> but I have I have not actually gotten around to. I remember watching a, some sort of de- a demonstration video of it. And it seemed it seemed pretty pretty cool. Yeah. So, and unless I'm mistaken, you can play it as a single player. Oh, interesting. It's, it's that type of game. So, huh. I never. Re- I I guess you're right. Yeah, because it's. Because like the the bosses kind of have very I think they have specific it's all, mechanics. Yeah, it's all it's all just mechanical. This happens and then yeah. this happens and that's, so on. That's an interesting thought. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean that that's I think that's cool for something like Dark Souls. Yeah, absolutely. You learn by playing and failing and playing and failing. <laughs> <Yes>. So <laughs> I um I bought a blender, a new oh, blender, yeah? so I could do like smoothies and stuff. Yeah, and I'm actually liking it. Cool. Um. I just I've I've been uh, I've been skipping breakfast for a very long time mm-hmm. and uh, and I haven't been I think that bird just tried to fly in your window. Oh, it's <laughs> a stupid bird. When we lived in Tennessee, it's a big tangent. When we lived in Tennessee, there were these birds that would harass Lisa. Like whenever she was home, <laughs> they would fly up and they would hit the window over and over and over again because they knew that if they did it enough, she would toss food out to them. Well, that's why they would do it. I know. I was going to ask, did she feed them? Yes, and of she course did. She did. It was like, it's like the geese at the landings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they would, they would come over and, and they, they would, would knock on the door because Lisa would give them cookies. And then they would hiss at her. They would hiss at her and they would hiss at uh, our turtle. They would Aww. hiss at, they would hiss at Squirtle. Oh, and uh, so he would, he would patrol and try to, you know, fend them off. Hey, Lisa, watch out for them geese. Give me some food pellets. I need to have food pellets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. I haven't done the squirtle voice in a long time. <laughs> it's pretty good. I see skies are blue. Clouds are white. I eat them food pellets in one big old bite. <laughs> and I think to myself, there was a good food pellet. Ow. Ow. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Yay. Uh, oh, I might cut that out. I don't no. know. 
All right. So uh, I guess let's let's get into the episode. Sure, sure. Um, Gabe. Yes. You're running down a corridor. What? Me. Smoke fills the corridor. Oh, my goodness. There's a a hot, hot heat, I guess. It's (laughs) the worst kind of heat. (laughs) Yes. Building behind you. Suddenly you hear a roar and and there's just a wave of heat, but – and you see fire coming uh, coming at you from behind you. Oh but my goodness! A, but there's a but there's a there's a there's a hallway to your right. Roll a reflex check. Okay. Okay. Uh, I roll a reflex. I got a uh, sixteen plus six, my six, modifier. Sixteen I, plus your uh, plus two modifier. Eighteen. Sure. That's, a, that's a DC uh, seventeen. So so you, so you dive into the doorway. Oh, and awesome. just barely escape the, the do fire. Do I still take half damage? You no no you have okay uh, you have, I, have, I have evasion. I'm, have evasion. A, I'm a rogue. Yes. And. Uh, but you uh, but you take but you take a uh, a, t- a tumble down some stairs. Oh no! Make a, make a balance check. Okay, balance check. Well, it'd be acrobatics, I guess. Six, oh, sure, sure. Six. Uh, I didn't do so good. Okay, so so you fall, you take a little bit of damage, but you fell directly into the dragon's horde. Ah! <laughs> awesome. Um, this is a small. A uh, little detail. I actually think that if I had to g- assign a class to myself, not based on what I would like to be, sure. but based on the skills that I think I have, I actually would consider myself a rogue. Okay. I don't think that I'm particularly dexterous. Sure. But I am very good at noticing flaws in things. <laughs> okay. All right. So it is a, a blessing and a curse. Oh, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. So. Uh, would you like to take over the the dragon's horde for today, or do you want me to? <laughs> no, you go right ahead. Okay, <laughs> awesome. So our item for today is actually an item from the Dungeon Master's Guide. Sure. Now I I have said in the past that I love magic items. Mm-hmm. A lot the, of fun. The more magical the item is, the more I love it. Yeah. So in particular, my favorite type of magic items is definitely artifacts. Yeah. Artifacts for anybody who is uh, not familiar with the strict terminology of D anD D, an artifact is a magic item that is. Uh, that is beyond the ability of mortals to create. Sure. It might be something that was created by a god. Mm -hmm. It might be something that was created by mortals, but maybe a long time ago in a time when, you know, magic was more plentiful. Yeah. Maybe it was a magic item that was created through extreme sacrifice. Maybe Mm -hmm. like a whole cabal of wizards all sacrifice themselves to make it. Maybe it's just a magic item that's just really, really powerful, whatever. Yeah. Artifacts tend to be very powerful or just very unique in their ability. Mm-hmm. I think the strictest definition of an artifact is just a magic item that cannot be recreated by the players. Sure. So um, the Dungeon Master's Guide has artifacts. I'm pretty sure every edition of it has had artifacts in it. And most of the artifacts that come out are, uh, they generally have a lot of history to them. They've been in earlier editions of the game. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes there will be you know, a lot of just stuff that's happened with it. Maybe it had a, a past. It got passed on from person to person and yeah, so on. Yeah. But artifacts that are published, I think, tend to be very, very cool. Yeah. In 5th edition, 5th edition is no exception. Um, in particular, there is one magic item that is very dear to my heart for several <laughs> reasons, which I can get into. It is called the Sword of Kos. Now, I'm wondering why it's dear to your heart when, well, Gabe will get into its background. <laughs> Well, I can I can get into that. I can get into that too. Um, I'll well, I'll just say right now the very first campaign that I ever ran, okay, which was terrible. I was it was in 3.0. It was a third edition game. I I had gotten the player's handbook, the dungeon master's guide, the monster manual, 
and I was just flipping through the Dungeon Master's Guide, looking at all the magic items, mm-hmm. and I saw this item, the Sword of Cost. And in third edition, it had this drawing of it that I thought was so cool. It's a bit different than it is in all ed- other editions. Okay. But it was like this, I'll put the link in the show notes. It was this sword that had like this, this like black blade to it. And part of the cross guard looked like a, like a skeleton's face or something. Yeah, and yeah. then I read the description of it and it was so cool. I thought to myself, I want to run a campaign where the end boss has this sword and the players have to like take him down and then destroy it. Cool. So I did this and then like I incorporated basically all of the other artifacts from the Dungeon Master's Guide. Like (laughs) in order to destroy it, the players had to get the Hammer of Thunderbolts and they had to uh, use like the Talisman of Pure Good and then they had to... Um, I don't know, do some other thing. And so I, I like incorporated all of the ma- all of the artifacts that were in there. And I was like, okay, the players are going to have to do this and this and this. And so I made this campaign that was awful. <laughs> and I made the, 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 the villain, I introduced him very early on. And he was like this total Mary Sue character. Like he could not fail at anything. And I, he wasn't like a DMPC because he was a villain, but like. I was just so bad. The players would get attacked by some of his minions. And then I think Jay, like he took one hostage and tried to get him to tell them some information about the villain. And I was like, nope, he, he, he refuses to tell you. He would rather die than tell you who hired him to attack you. And like, oh, I was a terrible DM anyway, <laughs> but it, it all revolved around. It all started with the sword of cost. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, <clears throat> the sword of cost, the history revolves around the, uh, the deity Vecna, mm-hmm. who this is all in, you know, this is all stuff crucial to the, the Greyhawk, Greyhawk campaign. Sure. Um, so Vecna in Greyhawk was the, he is the god of secrets and undeath. So at one point Vecna was human. He eventually became a lich and then ascended to divinity after that point. Uh, Vecna, jealous. yeah, I know. Vecna had a lieutenant, a vampire lieutenant named Kaas. Mm. According to the lore in the book, um, Kaas faithfully served the Lich, but as Kaas's power grew, so did his hubris. His sword, which was given to him by Vecna, his sword urged him to supplant Vecna so that they could rule the Lich's empire in Vecna's stead. Ooh. Legend says Vecna's destruction came at Kaas's hand, but Vecna also wrought his rebellious lieutenant's doom, leaving only Kaas's sword behind. Uh, so basically, the two of them fought. Kaas turned traitor and tried to kill the the god Vecna. Uh-huh. In the fight, Kaas cut off Vecna's hand and cut out Vecna's eye, mm-hmm. which are also artifacts. And then Vecna killed Kaas in the process. So the two of them killed each other, leaving behind those three artifacts. The sword of Kaas, the hand of Vecna, and the eye of Vecna. Mm-hmm. Now, let me get into... So I, I think that's really cool. Yeah. I really like the story of it. Yeah. Um, let me get into a bit of the the mechanics. Um, and this is these are the fifth edition mechanics. I actually kind of like the third edition mechanics better because they're a bit simpler. Fifth edition does a lot with all their artifacts that mm-hmm. uh, isn't necessarily bad, but you know, just adds more complexity to it. So uh, the sword of Kaas is a magic sentient longsword that grants a plus three bonus to attack and damage rolls made with it. So in fifth edition terms, that means it's it is as powerful as a magic item as as powerful as a magic sword can get. Sure. Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. Um, oh, it goes up to plus three. Right. It also gets a critical hit on a 19 or a 20, okay. which is, pretty, you know, that's that's not really a thing in 5th edition yeah, for the yeah. most part. Uh, also, it also deals an extra 2d10 slashing damage against undead. Oh. So, again, with the idea that he killed his lich 
uh, sure, yeah, friend. So he, uh, it, you know, the sword does extra damage against undead. I, I, I don't think I don't think anybody can really call a lich a friend. Well, <laughs> I guess I was gonna. I don't know. I was gonna say like. Wasn't his, his master, his superior? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. His whoever it is, his boss. He killed his undead boss. His, his manager, <laughs> right? Uh, but so, in addition to these these those abilities, if the sword isn't bathed in blood within a minute of being drawn from its scabbard, its wielder must make a DC 15 Charisma saving throw. On a successful save, the wielder takes. 3d6 psychic damage. So even if you make the save, you take damage from the sword. Wow. Because the sword is trying to take control. If you fail, the wielder is dominated by the sword. Ooh. As if by the dominate monster spell. And the sword demands that it be bathed in blood. The spell effects ends when the demands are met. So once you finally bathe it in blood, you're okay. I mean... When you really think about it, like what's going to be the what's the real difference between being dominated and told to, to bathe it in blood, and you know, and knowing that it can do that, so you might you should you need to bathe it in blood at some point. So it's like so the sword's going to get its way one way or the other. Yeah, pretty much. I don't think it's stated here, but what, where my mind goes is, let's say you draw the sword, and there aren't any enemies nearby. Sure. It's got to get bathed in blood, well, yeah, and well, it's going to get bathed in blood. If it's your blood, well, I mean, but I wouldn't necessarily want to kill you because maybe. What well, if, that's true. If it needs somebody to to wield it to get bathed in blood, so maybe. Yeah. It, but I mean, it it's gonna take it's gonna take some blood in the process. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so then, uh, because it's an artifact, because of how Fifth Edition does artifacts, it gains or beneficial and detrimental properties. So, like, you roll on some charts to see mm-hmm. some good things happen to you while you're. In, while you're like attuned to it, some bad things happen to you. Okay. Um, I won't really get into those because there's there's a, there's a big table and there's there's so much uh, so many things to get into. Sure. But the different abilities that the sword has, in addition to being a pl- a plus three sword that has better criticals and damage against undead, when the sword is on your person, you add a d10 to your initiative at the start of every combat. Ooh. So the, like the spirit of Kos is kind of urging you to you know, oh, right. to be active in the battle. In addition, when you use the action to when you use your action to attack with the sword, you can transfer some or all of its attack bonus to your AC. Oh, interesting. So you can use it to defend as well. Cool. Uh, the bonuses remain in effect until your the start of your next turn. Neat. Also, while the sword is on your person, you can use an action to cast Call Lightning, Divine Word, or Finger of Death. Okay. Once you use the sword to cast a spell, you can't cast that same spell again until the next dawn. So you can use it to bring down lightning, which was a thing in the 3.0 version as well. I really liked that. Call lightning with it. You could use it to kill someone instantly if they sure. failed, failed the saves. And then divine word. You cast a spell. You utter a divine word imbued with the power that shaped the world at the dawn of creation. Choose any number of creatures you can see. Each creature that can hear you must make a charisma saving throw. If they fail the save... They're, depending on how many hit points they currently have, either they're deafened, they're blinded, they're stunned, or they're killed instantly, or a combination thereof. Oh, sure. So so basically, it's a, it's a spell that you say a word of utter blasphemy mm-hmm. that causes creatures uh, that can hear you to suffer ill effects. So it has those spells. It's like the In end addition, of dogma. I suppose so, yeah. It's kind of, yeah. Um, it, the sword is also sentient. Now, the Sword of Kos is a sentient, chaotic, evil weapon with an intelligence of 15, wisdom of 13, charisma of 16, has hearing and dark vision out to 120 feet. Mm. The weapon communicates telepathically with its wielder and can speak, read, and understand common. So, you know, all kind of standard for powerful uh, 
intelligent items. You sure. Know, can, they can see, can speak, and so on and so on. The sword's purpose is to bring ruin to Vecna. Ooh. Killing Vecna's worshippers, destroying the Lich's works, and foiling his machinations all help to fulfill this goal. Sword of Kaz also seeks to destroy anyone corrupted by the eye and hand of Vecna. Huh. The sword's obsession with those artifacts eventually becomes a fixation for its wielder. Mm-hmm. So I really like the idea that um, intelligent items eventually start to kind of corrupt the wielder, either yeah, yeah. turning them towards evil or turning them towards good or so on and so on, kind of like uh, <clears throat> Gargan Moonslicer. Right. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, I really like, I, I like its history. I really like its personality. Mm-hmm. I, I like that because I, li- I love the idea of, because it, it wants to kill all of Vecna's followers. Um, you know, off the top of my head, other people that might want to destroy Vecna's followers, anybody on the side of good. <laughs> yes, that's true. So, like, the idea of maybe like some, some like, noble paladin or something wielding this sword. Oh, snap. And, he, is, oh. he is making himself a martyr by taking on the burden of using a super evil sword. Right, yeah. He wants, like, he wants to try and use it for good and, you know, you know, take, take on the forces of Vecna and then in... In turn, might be slowly corrupted, or yeah. like so he he's has constantly to bathe it f- in blood, and he's like, Ooh. like you know, like he can't continue his journey if he's if he's dominated by this thing, yeah, you know, like so it's like he has to keep it happy and bathe it in blood, but all that's around is maybe these goblins who not aren't necessarily anybody's problem, but there they are, and yeah. no one would miss them. That's a really cool character. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I, I could even see a character like that, maybe at the beginning of his pilgrimage to de- defeat Vecna or whatever. Maybe for a while, he cuts himself with the sword Ooh, okay, yeah. to, to bathe it in blood because he doesn't want to shed innocent blood. And then sure. maybe there's a time where he is so weak from having done that, he sees those quote-unquote innocent goblins and, well... I guess they're evil. Maybe right. maybe he's a bit willing to sacrifice them instead and then that starts the downward spiral. Yeah. So yeah it's like a like a like a small a small camp of goblins that haven't pillaged anybody or hurt anybody. Like they're just there and he's yeah. like, well I guess they'll probably like do something bad because they're goblins. <laughs> right. He starts justifying yes. what he is already planning on doing to, you yeah. know. And then, and then, of course, the sword's gonna talk to him and be like, yeah, you're absolutely, right. yeah, absolutely. The, the, yeah, the sword will be, the sword will be like, yeah, yeah, they're, they're probably getting, they're probably getting ready to like ambush some merchant or something. Like, look at him, look at him, look at him, look at him talking like, rah, rah, rah. look at him <laughs> talking with their hands in front of their mouths. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's really cool. So one more thing about uh, artifacts, specifically in 5th edition, oh, right. is that all artifacts, they, they are not destructible the same way that other items would be. Sure, yeah, they in, can't be destroyed in normal, normal right. ways. Yeah, in general, the only way to destroy an artifact is to do something very specific to that artifact. It mm. might be something simple, like, for example, in this book, they've got the Orbs of Dragonkind, mm-hmm. where in order to destroy them, you just have to hit them with... A plus three weapon, so like a weapon that's as high, as high of a bonus as can be. Sure. Um, other ones, for example, this one. The only way to destroy the Sword of Kaz, mm-hmm. which you know you would probably want to do so because it is a very evil, very powerful artifact. You don't yeah. want it falling into the wrong hands. Uh, hands, hand thing. I don't know. Anyway, anyway, I'm making a Vecna joke. Um, a creature attuned to both the Eye of Vecna and the Hand of Vecna. Mm-hmm can use the wish property granted by both of those combined artifacts Ooh. 
to unmake the Sword of Kaas. Cool. The creature must cast the wish spell and make a charisma check contested by the charisma check of the sword. The sword must be within 30 feet of the creature or the spell fails. If the sword wins the contest, nothing happens, and thus the wish spell is wasted. If the sword loses the contest, the sword is destroyed. Mm. So, the only way to destroy the Sword of Kaas, mm-hmm. which was the weapon that s- slew Vecna or cut off Vecna's that head was, and eye. That was created by... That was crea- exactly. The only way to destroy it is to get the hand and eye of Vecna and use a very powerful spell gotten from their combined power to destroy it. That's really cool. Yeah. And Gabe, uh, just as a little interesting thing, how do you destroy the hand and eye in Vecna? Well, to destroy the hand and eye in Vecna, you have to find someone who is attuned to both of them and kill that person with the Sword of Kaas. So you cannot have all three artifacts destroyed. You can use one to destroy the other. You can't destroy one of them without the other. That's interesting. It is. So, to add some levels of complexity to the paladin who uses the Sword of Cost to destroy Vecna, he if he succeeds, he will not be able to, in turn, destroy the Sword of Cost. Right. He's going to either have to leave Vecna alive so that the sword can be destroyed... Or he's going to have to destroy the hand and eye of Vecna and thus still have... And I'm, I'm sure that the sword is not going to let him just, oh, just toss it aside once the job is done. Right, yeah. Now that Vecna's hand and eye have been destroyed, the sword is probably going to want to take over. And the sword is probably going to want to rule where Vecna failed. Sure, sure. So That's interesting. So I, I really, really like the Sword of Cost. I think it's a really cool item. Like I said, I'll put the, I'll put the description and the picture into the show notes because I think the third edition version just looked so cool <laughs> yeah uh, like yeah i like i like all the, i like all the artifacts in D and like yeah the, the hand and eye in vecna i feel yeah i feel like we've we've referenced them so many times in our camp in all of our campaigns and stuff and yeah like, i don't know they, they're really cool and like i i, I remember i think 3.5 warlock had there were two invocations that you can get one of them was you could detach your arm your hand. Your hand specifically, yeah. Yeah, you could detach your hand and, like, it could crawl around and do stuff and, like, it, you know, it was still it was still a part of your body. It just, yeah. It was yeah. just separated. And the same you can do with your eye. So you can have your eye. Your eye would pop out of your skull and have little <laughs> spider legs and it would crawl around so you can, like, maybe, like, slip it under a door and then right. spy on somebody. And that's, like, really cool. And I thought, like, wouldn't it be neat if some if if a warlock got a hold of the hand and eye in Vecna and was able to do like to like move them around and stuff? Well, the thing about that though, right? Yes, we might cover the hand and eye in Vecna on a future episode, but there is a caveat that if you if you ever have your hand cut off, right, after you've attached the hand of Vecna or have your eye cut out while you have the eye Vecna, it kills you instantly. Right. So there is the question of whether a warlock would be able to you know even temporarily disconnect the hand of hand right. or eye of Vecna. Yeah, would it would it count, you know, like I don't know. I think that's that's up to the DM. Or is it up to Vecna? Ooh. Well, I mean <laughs> maybe Vecna be like, "All right, that's a good that's a good idea." <laughs> Technically I speaking, I think they're one and the same, sure. but uh, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's something that I if I was the player, I would be very hesitant to try. Right. Yes. Now, uh since we're talking about the hand and eye of Vecna, I will mention one thing. Apparently, a lot of people have uh, in their in their campaigns uh, encountered the concept of the head of Vecna. Okay. That in order to use it, you have to cut off your own head <laughs> and attach the head. 
I imagine there have been plenty of players who have done so and then immediately afterwards realized the problem with that process. That's fantastic. Yes. <laughs> oh, and we just... Oh. <laughs> so there you go. There you have it. The Sword of Kos. It's a very, very cool magic item. <laughs> now, if anybody wanted to submit a magic item for the Dragon's Horde or a question for the podcast, Jeff, how would they do so? I don't know. Like, probably just, I guess, send us an email or something at like interpartyconflict at gmail.com. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, just throwing it out just there. Just spitballing here. Yeah, just throwing know, it out just there. Just an idea, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that could work. Maybe uh, try it out. See see if it works. Yeah. Give it, give it a try. Give it, give it, give it a few tries. So just, just start. Just start throwing emails yeah, out there. there. See what happens. Oh, I should probably mention uh, that this was actually, I should have put this at the beginning. This was actually a very good week for us in podcasting. Oh, yes? We got a shout out on Dicey Tales. Nice. Which uh, I'm pretty sure they record their episodes well in advance because uh, they mentioned something that will be happening in May, using air quotes here. Oh. So I, I think they probably recorded it a while ago, but they gave us a shout out. They cool. talked, uh, Thank they you. talked about us pretty well. And also on Hardy Dice Friends, they answered two of my questions oh, cool. this week. And so, and they, they mentioned, you know, I, I, cause they knew who I was. So they said who I, uh, they mentioned our podcast then too. I think, uh, I think that was pretty cool. Our best frenemies. <laughs> yes. Uh, so those are two great podcasts that you should listen to. Yes. Uh, all right. So you want to go ahead and get into some questions? Yeah, absolutely. All right. This, uh, our first question comes from Nicholas P and this is from, e- uh, through email, which again is interpartyconflict at gmail.com. Who was the worst player and or GM you've ever had? Now, this strap in, folks. <laughs> so this is something that I've I've wanted to talk about for a while because I have I have a doozy of an example mm-hmm. here. When I lived in Tennessee for the first about for the first year and a half or so, it was it was pretty hard for Lisa and I to make friends. We didn't we're not really the greatest at, you know, meeting new people. And we it be, were it could be tough, especially in later life. Exactly. And we, we had moved to an area where basically we didn't know anybody. Like sure. I, I had some family that lived there. But they didn't really like they didn't really return our calls very often. And eventually they moved away and didn't even tell anybody. Huh. So we, we moved down there. We pretty much we only knew each other. Eventually, I met um, I met some people that played D&D. One guy in particular, I started playing with him. I'm I'm I went back and forth between whether to use his real name or not. I'm not going to. Yeah, because that... I'm not going to be saying good things about this guy. Right. Yeah. So I'll let's call him Trey. Sure. Trey was uh he was a guy that lived about 45 minutes from me so everything down there was was really far away but i i i went and i started playing with him and i played with him for maybe three or four months Mm -hmm. and while i was there it was okay he had a lot of issues which i'll get into eventually i left his group not because of the issues sure but just because um pathfinder had just come out and I really wanted to run a Pathfinder game. Okay. <clears throat> a Pathfinder game. And he was he was running a 3.5 game. So, um, you know, they're similar, but I was just I really wanted to try Pathfinder yeah. and I thought, you know, I'll just uh I'll just back out, I'll start my own game. The issues that I had with him were not the reason that I left. However, when I did leave, it got, that kind of helped it along. It helped it along, and it really kind of exacerbated a lot of things, which I'll I'll get to as we go through okay. as we go through this tale. Sure. So, the first thing that I noticed that was a little weird about Trey was that he really liked having a big group of players. Okay. Now, if you can get a big group of players, you know, all the power to you. Yeah. A lot of people, their issue is not being able to find players. Mm-hmm. But he he really liked playing with a, a big group of players. When I first started playing with him, 
it was me, one longtime friend of his, another like slightly less longtime friend of his. And then I want to say like three or four other people that would be there sometimes they wouldn't be there other times. So we had, we had a pretty big group, not just that though. He really liked having a lot of PCs there. So in addition to those like five or six players, he had at least two NPCs or possibly DMPCs that would follow along with us. So uh-huh. anytime a battle started, you'd be looking at seven or eight people minimum. Okay. And Eesh. so I, I sort of mentioned him in our DMPC episode. Yeah, yeah. One of the one of the characters that he always had around oh, right. was a half minotaur named Moo. He was a half minotaur cleric. I don't know where he got the stats for a half minotaur, but he was this hulking mass of hit points and attack bonuses that he was always there. He didn't really talk much, but like whatever Trey needed him to do, he would do. Anytime he got involved in combat, he would do well more damage, way more damage than anybody else. His hit points was apparently in the triple digits, even (laughs) though we were like level five or something at the time. Sure. It was kind of ridiculous. He was, whenever he took part he overshadowed everybody else then i want to say moo had like a wife or a (laughs) sidekick or something that was like a human female that would always be around Uh, okay and then so like i said there were a lot of players but because trey was so insistent on always having a lot of players if you ever didn't show up to a session your character was still there okay he would take a copy of your character sheet and give it to someone else and have them run your character Hmm. Now, I'm not saying that that in and of itself is a problem. If, right. if the players, if you make the players aware that this is how you're going to be doing things, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. If you've all, all have agreed that like, oh, if I'm late or if I'm not going to make it that day, go ahead and play my character. Exactly. But sure. there are some problems that arose because of this that, again, I'll get to in a little bit. I'm sorry to keep uh, bearing the lead here, but there's <laughs> there's there's a lot to this. Okay. So like I said, every time we played, there would always be. So many people. Every combat took forever because every round, even if there were only three players at the table, every round of combat, you'd have to go through like eight turns, not counting the enemies. Sure. And then because he was always insistent on having a lot of players, he always had a lot of monsters. Of course. Always. And his his monsters were freaking ridiculous. We would get into random encounters. That routinely half of the party would be in negatives after we, there was, so like (laughs) we would be walking along through the forest on the way to the adventure we're supposed to be having. And he would have like 20 homebrew skeleton monsters show up, each of which would have been a difficult battle for us. But because there's so many of them, most of the time we would end up having to flee after, you know, two or three or four of the party members got dropped to zero. It was very, very difficult to make it through a combat with him. Oh, my. And this is including the fact that he had, you know, the the godlike DMPC Moo with us. He would throw such difficult encounters at us. And his defense was always, well, you there's there's eight of you, so you should be able to take this on. And it's like, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> One of these things would have been a challenge for the eight of us. And you threw 20 of them at us. Oh, my goodness. So, like I said, a big party. His, his insistent uh, to always having a big party was was one thing that kind of ended up being a problem. Yeah. Another thing was that Trey didn't really have the greatest grasp on the 3.5 rule set. Okay. Now, that in and of itself is not a huge problem. 
Mm-hmm. It's good for the DM to have a better grasp on the rules than anybody else, but it's not necessary. There's always going to be the player who has, you know, spent all of his free time reading the rules. There's always going to be rules lawyers and so on. Yeah. And like, you know, it's, there's a reason why it's in a book. You can it's, have exactly. it, you can have it with you for reference if you need it. Right. But what Trey would do is he would, when he didn't know a rule, he would make up a rule regardless of whether it was consistent with how he'd been playing the game so far. And if you point out, well, hey, here, here's the rules. It's right here on this page. We can be playing it this way. He would not budge. If he had made a ruling, that was the ruling. And that that's not a problem. Sure. But the problem comes from when, like, a player talks to him about a game. He's like, you know, hey, we sh- you know, these are the rules. These are the rules we agreed to be following. And he would he would get hostile if you corrected any of the rules that he would make but it wasn't that he was just making house rules and wants to stick to those house rules he would insist that the rules that he made up were actual rules and if you ever pointed out well this isn't a rule in 3.5 and he would be like oh well maybe it's a second edition rule and you'd be like no no it's not a second edition rule either he would get mad at you there would be a time oh, no. there would be times where like he would he would institute rules that made the game borderline unplayable he ruled at one point that when a monster dies in combat, its corpse remains in the square that it was in. And it is impossible under any circumstances to end your turn on that square. It wasn't like, oh, you can spend an action to like kick them out of the way. No, it was that you can't end your turn there. And one of the players, who I'll get to in a little bit, started using this to his advantage. He would start specifically killing enemies in key locations okay. so that... The rest of the enemies wouldn't be able to end their turns adjacent to players. So like this particular player, um, let's call him Bob. Bob was very, very clever okay. in using Trey's rules against him. And that led to some <laughs> problems, which sorry to say it again, but I'll get to that as we go. Uh, another thing that Trey. So like I mentioned that Trey would make the game borderline unplayable with some of his rules. Here's another rule that he uh, that he instituted. He said that in order to use dark vision. Dark vision, for anybody who's not familiar, is a supernatural ability possessed by dwarves, orcs, elves. Uh, are, are you noticing a theme with these races that I'm mentioning? Sure. The theme is that they are not real people. They are not real creatures. They okay. are fantasy creatures that exist in the fictional world of D&D. Uh-huh. So he ruled that in order to use dark vision, this ability that especially, especially in third edition was like crucial to being a dwarf crucial to being an orc that live, you know, dwarves live underground in areas that may or may not have light sources. Right. You 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 could not use dark vision if you had seen a light source of any kind for the last 5 minutes. Which means that you would have to like put out your torch, stand around for 5 minutes in complete darkness and then you'd be able to see. So he he's a, he's a, he was equating it to the uh, like Somebody adjusting to darkness. And exactly. Light. His reasoning was that the human eye takes X amount of minutes to adjust to darkness. Uh-huh. He's using human physiology to determine how a magical ability that a fictional race possesses sure. would work. I mean, if that's how you want to run your game, that's fine. Well, but but it makes dark vision literally useless right isn't isn't there isn't there a thing isn't there a thing like it's dim light vision or something like that there was low light vision vision. third edition yeah okay 
maybe something like that could make like low light vision could be did here did humans have low light vision they didn't they uh didn't? Hu- humans had no no no, no special added. vision okay. whatsoever like base vision was what a human has okay and then like i think halflings had base vision as well and then like gnomes dwarves uh orcs had dark vision then elves had low light vision and then in later in like fifth edition they just have dark it's just dark yeah i think vision. they got rid of low light vision yeah and just made it dark vision yeah. so it's just it was it's it's frustrating i personally it really sticks in my craw whenever a dm makes a room nerfs an ability because of what the dm considers to be quote-unquote realistic sure i'm using heavy air quotes heavy inverted commas here wait, wait, wait do it as do them the again. people on hardy dice friends might use. Right, ready go for it there you go. There you go. Uh, so if you think that something is going to make the game more, again, heavy air quotes, realistic. Sorry. That, that was the, one too many air quotes there. <laughs> Hold on. I have to readjust my mic now. Sorry, everybody. Sorry. Okay. There you go. The issue is that, number one, your interpretation of what is realistic mm-hmm. is not going to be the same as somebody else's interpretation of what's realistic. Right. Now, I mean, of course, there's things like saying, okay, when something falls, it falls X amount of feet the first round and so on. There's, there's, you can, you can bring in just stuff like that. Well, but that, I mean, that's, that's more, that's more, I don't know. I'd say, I'd, I'd say that's more like laws of physics sort of thing. And like, I, I guess y- y- you're sort of assuming there at least are, there are some like laws to the nature of the world that you're in. And that's, that's not a problem. Right. I just think that physics don't work in D and D for many reasons. Mm-hmm. Magic being probably the first and foremost of them. Well, you know. But I just think that the game is balanced with without a an integral knowledge of physics required. Mm-hmm. If if you want to include more, you know, like zoomed in physics, you can. If yeah. it's if your group wants it, all the power to you. Do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But I just think that you're kind of missing the point when you try to institute physics into a game that really isn't meant to use them right it, you, you have these you have these set of rules that are basically in place of the set of rules that is reality exactly so like you know like there is a set of rules that comes to uh thermal dynamics and that's why you know you know that's why energy consumption works in a certain way and that sort of thing but you're instead of Instead of the laws of, uh, you know, Newtonian physics and things like that, you have this neat little book that that lets you play in a world where it where it simplifies all that. Right. So that you can play and have fun and not yeah. have to worry about it. There is a lot of D&D that just doesn't it just doesn't follow physics because it doesn't need to. The game right. is just kind of meant to be simple and ha- and just be there to have fun. Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, in combat in fifth edition, if you move diagonally. It costs the same amount of movement as if you move forwards, uh-huh. even though in real life it would cost, you know, an extra X percent. Uh, it'd be, you know, yeah. it would be further. You don't need to implement actual, you know, like physical uh, distances because the game is just simplified so that, no, it's just a diagonal. Just to be simpler is just the same. It's just another five right. feet of movement to move diagonally and five feet of movement to move forwards. So. This is, this is a big digression here, but like any DM that implements rules because it's supposed to be quote unquote realistic, mm-hmm. I think is really missing the point because for every rule that you think makes the game more realistic, you are ignoring 10 rules 
that are making the game less realistic. Sure. You should not try to make a game realistic. You should try to make a game internally consistent. If Dark Vision worked the way that Trey was trying to make it work, that would not be internally consistent because dwarves would not have survived as a race if they had to be blind for five minutes every time they go into the dark. Yeah. What what I like to do with is situations like this, when, like when you want, want to try, try to make things more uh, realistic, not make them more realistic comparing them to the real world, but making them more realistic, making them, like trying to rationalize things that happen in a fictional world, a fictional world. Okay. Um, I guess in Star Wars. Okay. At, at least before the prequels. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's, oh, so you're talking about good Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 talk about the example of like uh, uh, midi chlorians. That sure. whole thing. Sure. So like midi chlorians are George Lucas's like way of explaining the science behind what's the the magic in the world of Star Wars. Nobody liked it. Okay. Because it wasn't what they imagined it was. Kind of coming up with your own headcanon sort of thing coming mm-hmm. coming up with your own explanation as to why this is this way and why this is that way like when i when i have the struggle of like oh that's not realistic mm-hmm. i i think about like okay that's not realistic in the real world but this is not the real world this is a video game this is a tabletop game this is a book this is a movie right like this isn't necessarily like they never said this is set in the real world they said this is set on the planet pandora or whatever sure, the, sure. you know that or you know uh, thinking of uh, avatar um <laughs> on tatooine or whatever sure sure yeah right right we were talking star wars yeah, <laughs> sorry sorry everybody got got my sci-fi's uh crossed which uh there's another thing about like you know like star wars isn't necessarily a sci-fi it's more of a fantasy which plays into the reason why people get kind of got upset about the like the trying to trying to explain it more specifically and scientifically you know, like uh, trying to trying to explain the force in a way that a scientist would agree with. Yeah. Kind of takes away the whole fantasy, you know, part of it. It's like trying to trying to force reality into a fantasy world. It, it, it makes it I don't know. It makes it not fun. OK. Yeah, I, I, like, I, I can, definitely it agree. Can, it can ruin it because like, yeah, you might you might have your own, you know, your your own thought about like how this works because you don't know how it works because it's magic and it doesn't exist. But it exists in this in this very small case of you playing this game and so like your your mind has to rationalize it in a way but forcing all of your players to to rationalize it in your way that you want it i i feel like yeah make makes it i don't know makes it not as yeah i I agree let me sorry let me give one more example of like how of, of why i think that it is it is bad to try and introduce uh you know why? Why it's bad to say something's unrealistic? Sure. Um, it, just yesterday in the fifth edition D and D Facebook group, there was somebody who was asking, "Can a gnome monk use the deflect arrows ability to deflect a boulder thrown by a giant?" Hmm. And uh, mechanics wise, the answer is yes. Like rules is written, the answer is yes. And the way that deflect arrows even works, it's it just reduces the damage you take from ranged weapons. Okay. You just you roll something. And then you add like your monk level or whatever. And then if you if you reduce the damage to zero, you additionally catch the object. But regardless, it just you just use your key or whatever to reduce the damage taken from the thing. So mechanically, there's no issue. Right. You don't have to describe it as the 
the, the no monk is literally batting away, a, you know, hundred pound boulder. But there were a couple people that were like, absolutely not. That is unrealistic. A 40 pound halfling or 40 pound gnome cannot deflect a hundred pound boulder. It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> and it's like, first off, you're talking about monks who use mystical abilities. Sure. Second, you're talking about a fictional race that doesn't exist. Third, you're talking about an object thrown by a fictional object, a fictional creature that could not exist due to the square cube law. So sure. <laughs> you cannot say that this inherently, intrinsically unrealistic scenario is unrealistic because none of the parts of the equation could exist. So you cannot use this one aspect being unrealistic as a reason not to allow it to happen. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because it's if if it mechanically works and the rules allow it, it can happen. And if it, and if it doesn't seem realistic to you, find find some way to justify it. Okay. So this boulder is being thrown at the gnome. The gnome is using its its key energy. Maybe it, he puts up like a little bit of a barrier that can kind of deflect it a little bit, and it like it still hits him, and it but it bounces off of him a little. Let's bit. say it knocks him to the side four feet, not enough to put him in a different square, but like it's not just he's just standing there and staunchly knocking right. it out of the air. It's hitting him. He's still taking damage because yeah. that's a powerful attack he just got hit by. Or, or it's just doing less damage because he deflected. Some or maybe of it. he's a powerful enough monk where it doesn't do damage and he can catch it. But he, but, but then you have to go into okay, how be, uh, how heavy is it? Can his strength hold it? At that point, you're you're going more well, into you know. That's another point people brought up that uh, by the rules, the monk in this particular case, like a halfling or a no monk, cannot catch the boulder because you you have to be able to lift the object in order to catch it. Sure, you could reduce it to zero if you were high enough level. But you couldn't catch it. Right. So he couldn't catch it then, and he just stops it. Exactly. So like there's Or deflects it completely with his with his key energy right. that is so magical. This this effective superhero sure. is able to do something that breaks physics. Oh no. It broke physics. How how dare you break physics in this game about magic and halflings? <laughs> so anyway, back to the topic at hand. Trey would make lots of these types of rulings. And you know, like I said, if you brought up what the actual rule was, he would insist that he was right. And if if you even like, let's say you didn't have the page number on hand, but you were like, I don't think that's how it's supposed to be ruled. He would always come back with the defense. I've been playing this game for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> this is this is a big heads up to everyone out there. Just because you've been playing a game for 30 years doesn't mean you've been playing the game right for 30 years. Right. If your attitude is to say my way or the highway, you, <laughs> newsflash, you are not playing the game right. <laughs> so it wasn't just that he would make rulings that didn't fit with the rules. It wasn't just that he would want to stick to those rulings. It's that his attitude mm. was to say, I am right because I've been playing the game longer than you. Mm. We've mentioned before, I have played, I, we played with Zave, who was a better player his first time playing the yes. game. Yes, very than impressive. Some people who have been playing the game for literally decades. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to, well, it has very little to do with how long you've been playing the game. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, like experience is, is it's definitely important, important but. Again, if if you've had the wrong attitude all along, yeah. 30 years of having that wrong attitude is just going to make your wrong attitude even more wrong. Yeah, I can I can go and train myself in karate and I could I could do it for 30 years. And 
I might be doing things completely wrong. I might be injuring myself. <laughs> exactly. You know, like, and you know, if or, or if I if I went up to somebody, it's like, hey, I've been training in karate for thirty years. Come at me, bro. <laughs> and I, you know, I probably and they, wouldn't do very. They well. do the one thing that you never even thought of. Right. You're like, oh crap. Well, uh, I should be winning because I've been doing this for thirty years. Right. Yeah. So so like that's that's a problem. So, like I said, that he would uh, he would get kind of he would get kind of hostile if you disagreed with him. He would hold grudges, mm. serious grudges. Like he would he would affect your game. He would affect your game, and oh, I will get to the best example of this in just a minute. <laughs> okay. Sorry to keep keep pushing this off. News at eleven. It, so, like there, I remember there being a time at the table where somebody was pointing out something he had something he had ruled. I can't remember what it was that he had. Uh, he had ruled, but like, I remember him saying at the table, do you remember last month when, when I said that heavy armor affected your initiative and you said it wouldn't, I, I let you have that one. I let you have that one. I'm not going to let you have this one. And it's like, first off, that is not a rule. That has never been a rule. (laughs) You did not let him have that one. You followed the rules. And even if you did, quote unquote, let him have that one. Sure. This is not supposed to be, I will let you have this one so I can have the next one. This is not supposed to be an argument. This is supposed to be a cooperative game. If you approach it with, well, I let him have that last one, you have the wrong attitude. You should be like, both of us are trying to make this game fun for both of us. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want something that the player doesn't, we've said in the past, I'll say it again, that maybe that person isn't the right fit for your game. And I would say a lot of the people that that played with Trey uh, in his games were not a right fit for the game. Mm. As evidenced by the fact that, like I said, he had a lot of players, that would be a constant revolving door of players. Sure. There that, were people, that sounds like, it sounds like there'd be a lot of turnover. Yes. There would be people that would play with us once and then never come back. Mm-hmm. Other people, like myself... Um, you know, I, I played with him for a few months. Mm. There was another person who I'll talk about again in a, in a little bit. His name is Chris, not the Chris that I've talked about a lot. I'm going to call this one Tennessee Chris. Sure. Um, Tennessee Chris. Started... Tennessee Chris. <laughs> yes. I hope he listens. I think uh, he's been listening to this. I hope he hears this episode. Is he, he going to be mad that I call him Tennessee Chris? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> he uh, he started playing with Trey a little while after I did, and he actually continued playing with Trey after I quit. But uh, – there would just be a constant, constant revolving door of players. There were a couple people, like I said, there were one or two like longtime friends of Trey's that were there most of the time. And they they stuck with him for a while. Uh, in a bit, I'll get to why they probably <laughs> left. But 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 basically, like he was just so hard to get along with because he he would just he would argue with people. And so if if you approach it with the attitude of like you only get to be right so many times. That is a problem. That is a problem attitude. You, Trey, are the problem player when you have that attitude. It, it sounds like more he's just a problem person. I guess. And I have some possible reasons for why he might be. I'll, I'll get to that. Oh. Ding. I'm not, I'm not going to add in a, a ding for that one. So, uh, so like I said, he would, he would hold grudges against you. He would, uh, he would make the, ger- the game turn against you. If you argued with him too much, the thing is, Trey was a a bitter, hateful person mm. that really didn't care who or what 
was there to listen to him tell his story, he was going to tell that story. When I first started playing with him, one of the first uh, sessions that we had, we like found some weird giant mansion out in the woods that uh, was, it was like filled with demons or something. I don't know. And then like we found a door in there and we decided not to open it because it looked too evil. So we left. We, we as a party did not want to go on this particular path. So we went and we did something else. He kept trying to get us, kept railroading us back We would show up back at that mansion somehow, huh? I thought we were in a completely different part of the world, but I guess here we are in this mansion again (laughs) over and over to try to get us in there. Apparently, after I quit, after which point none of the players that were still in his group were there the previous time we were there, he was still trying to railroad the players into this area that none of them had any connection to whatsoever. (laughs) It's like, dude, if they don't want to go on your path, Maybe it's time to come up with something else. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So so just a little bit of recap before I get into like what the, <laughs> the straw was that broke the camel's back. So he always insisted on having a huge group mm-hmm. and always insisted on his combats being incredibly difficult to facilitate the fact that there were so many people in the group. Yeah, and these are things that we've touched on before. Big big groups means longer battles. It does. Tough combat can be frustrating. Yeah. So like people would drop to negatives Every single combat. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying there should never be encounters where half the party drops into negatives. There definitely should be. Yeah, it makes but it exciting. Every single encounter. It was ridiculous. It's like he had no gauge for for how difficult an encounter should be. Hmm. So so yeah, he insisted on having a big group. He didn't really stick to the 3.5 rule set very well. And anytime he ruled something differently and a player took issue, he would get very upset and he would hold a grudge against the players that brought up any issues. Mm -hmm. That brings me into his big story I'm going to tell. So there was a player that joined a little while after me. I think I called him Bob. Bob started playing with us and Bob was a total rules lawyer. Not only that, Uh he was the type of person that would Bring it up at the table. Now, I'm not saying that Bob was in the right. Bob was totally not in the right. Now, myself, I do consider myself a bit of a rules lawyer. But like I've said on the podcast, if there was a time where Trey did something that I didn't like, I would mention it once at the table. If there was like a relevant page to reference, I would reference it. I would say, well, hang on for a second. Just a second, Trey. The rule is this. And then if he still ruled it the way that he wanted, I would not mention it again. Because I've said my piece. He clearly wants a different type of game than I do. That's fine. I put up with it yeah. for as long as I felt like being in his game. If it, was the, if it was a bigger problem, I would have left sooner. Sure. Bob did not feel the same way. <laughs> Every session, there would be probably an hour of game time that was Bob and Trey arguing back and forth about some rule. And like I said... Bob eventually started using Trey's rules against him. Uh-huh. He would position enemies so that they would die in ways that stopped Trey from being able to do anything in combat. Uh-huh. <laughs> he would buff Moo and made Moo into our tank and healer and damage dealer and everything so that he would he would make it so that Moo was taking all of the damage and then nobody else sure. uh, was in danger most of the time. That being said, we would still, you know, we would even with this super powerful DMPC, we would still almost all die every mm-hmm. combat. But there was a time when uh, at one session, one of the guys in the group, uh, his name was William, I think, was absent. But going with Trey's uh, policy for how he handled player absences, 
uh, Will's character was still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will's character was playing. Will, Will was playing a paladin. Okay. And so we were going through the forest. We got into a random encounter, and uh, apparently, oh, actually, no. This I wasn't there that day. I think I was out this day because I'm, I'm going through the story in my head, and I don't think I was there. For that. Anyway, so. Um, Will, Will wasn't there. So instead his character was being played by somebody else. We, the players got attacked by a bunch of these like creepy skeletons that Trey loved to use and the party almost got killed. So in the end, the party decided to flee. Now, Bob was in control of Will's character. Cause like I said, Will wasn't there. So his character got passed off to somebody else. Sure. So Bob was in charge of Will's character. So Bob decided that Will's character being a 3.0 paladin or 3.5 paladin probably would have stayed behind to fight off the undead and let the party leave. Now, whether that was a good move or not, as far as players are concerned, like whether he should be doing that with another character, with other players character, that's up for debate. But I agree that it was probably in keeping with the character. Okay. He is a paladin. They're fighting undead. The rest of the party is going to die unless he sacrifices himself. Maybe he's willing to do it. Sure. So, Bob, being entrusted with Will's character by Trey, decided that Will's character was going to stay behind and sacrifice himself. Trey apparently did not like this. So when the party fled and got back to town, Will's character was there. Will's character, the paladin, was in the town wearing platinum full plate and wielding a plus five holy sword uh-huh and then proceeded to attack bob's character bob's character who had literally nothing to do with anything that trey had issue with sure because it wasn't his character that decided will's character would stay behind it was bob the player choosing a course of action for will's character so trey had will's character with super powerful magic gear again we were like fifth level at the time attack an unarmed, non-hostile person in broad daylight in the middle of a city, unprovoked. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and then during the fight, apparently Bob's character didn't fight back. He just kind of held his hands up and ran away. And then the rest of the party ganged up and killed Will's character because, you know, he's attacking a party member, un- you know, unprovoked. So th- the rest of the party ganged up and killed this paladin. And then Trey had the paladin's body explode in a burst of light that destroyed the platinum full plate and the, the plus five of holy course. sword or whatever. Yeah. So, like, this was clearly <laughs> Trey was bitter that Bob had been undermining him so much. And so he took out his frustration in game in a way that made no sense whatsoever. This is another little aside here. If you have an issue with a player at your table, do not take out your frustration in game. It will not solve anything. I am mm-hmm. guilty of, of doing stuff like that in the past. So I'm not saying that I'm innocent, but I can provide a word of advice. If you have an issue with someone, talk to them face to face like an adult. Sure. Cause that's what adults do. Speaking of adults, how old do you, do you know he how old was, this person is? I was about 25 at the time. I want to say he was probably early thirties. So he was a few years older than, oh, he, he had been playing the game for, Oh, right. For somewhere 30 around 30 years. years. So I, sure. he was probably a kid oh, when he started mid 30s. He's probably. still a kid. Well, <laughs> yes. Still yes, a he kid is. While he's DMing. Yeah. And so oh, um, let me tell you a little bit about why I left his group. Like I said, it was not because of his ridiculous actions. Mm-hmm. 
when I, like I said, when I was playing, I just, I decided I wanted to run a Pathfinder game. Mm. So I, I hadn't told Trey that I was going to leave yet, but I knew that he and Bob had been having issues. You okay. know, it was no, no secret that they'd been having issues. So I sent Bob a message. I was like, Hey, I'm thinking about leaving Trey's group. I want to start a Pathfinder group. If I did, would you be willing to join my game? And he immediately was like, yes, absolutely. Yes. That sounds so awesome. This is going to happen. <laughs> and I said, awesome. That's really cool. And then I asked him, do you think anybody else in the group would also want to join? Now, I was not trying to take people from Trey's game. Sure. You're, yeah. You weren't necessarily poaching. You're Right. Just, so yeah. like, I think I contacted Tennessee Chris. Mm-hmm. I contacted Tennessee Chris. one of the other guys in the group, uh, pew, pew, pew. Um, Rod, I think his name was. So I, I, I talked to them. I was like, hey, guys. I'm thinking about starting a Pathfinder game. Would you guys be willing and also playing in my game in addition to Trey's? And to be fair, that's what Tennessee Chris did. He played in both of our games. So I was, again, I was not trying to take people from Trey's game. Right, yeah. I mean, in that that case, it's obvious that you made it a separate schedule. So, like, it wasn't wasn't conflicting. Different day, everything. So, uh, apparently, Trey caught wind that there was going to be another game going in that uh, that myself and Bob were a part of. And he immediately assumed that Bob had started it to take the players from Trey. Uh-huh. So he emailed Bob and was very, very explicit in accusing him of stealing his players and talking about how horrible of a person he thought Bob was making all of these personal attacks, basically treating the players like they were property. Okay. And... So he he made threats. I don't remember exactly what the threats were, but like he insinuated that he could get Bob put in jail. So tre- so so Bob he took this email conversation, uh-huh, forwarded it to everybody else in the group. Sure. The next week I had Bob in my my game. I had Rod in my game. I had Will in my game. But Will who was a longtime friend of Trey's left Trey's game to join my game after telling him publicly, like, we are not property. We can join another player's game if we want to, and it's none of your darn business. Right. Uh, I mean, like I said, Tennessee Chris did still play with with Trey even <laughs> after <laughs> this whole debacle. <laughs> but it, Trey made such a fiasco out of this. And like, I even, I, I sent Trey a message like, dude, this was me that started the game, not Bob. I'm not trying to steal people from you. I specifically told them that they could play in both of our games and you handled this really, really badly. Of course, <laughs> Trey was not happy. He sure. accused me of stuff. I remember a few months later, I got an email from Trey not realizing that it was me. I was signed up on some website where like you put in your location, what versions of the game you've played, and then people who live in the same area can like send you emails. And he sent me an email like, hey, I'm looking to, you know, I'm looking for players for this game. I like to run a large large group and so on and so on. And I'm not proud of this, but I, I very snarkily responded with like, you know, sorry, I don't like playing with jerks that railroad people and treat their players as property, which of course provoked a, you know, a bunch sure. of swear, swear words from him. So I'm not, I'm not proud about well, taunting him like that. Right. But, yeah. but oh my goodness, he was just such, such a bad DM. He did not listen to his players. He didn't care what his players thought because frankly, he, he viewed his, his players as property that was there to please him and allow him to run the game that he wanted. Yeah. 
And I'm not saying that I agree with everything that Bob did, but I like everything he did. Yeah, I know. I know. He was, I'll be honest, Bob was kind of a jerk, but he's one of those jerks that like, he's got a plan for everything sure. he does. Yeah. Like, I'm, like, I'm not, I'm not saying you, you, I'm not saying everyone should be a Bob, but I'm saying good for Bob for being a Bob because <laughs> and in the very least in this case. Yes. Oh, and uh, just to give you an idea of what kind of a person Bob was, he was an investment banker that he <laughs> apparently- had bought his first house because of he he played EverQuest back when EverQuest was really really oh, popular. Wow. Okay, he was the head of his, he was the the guild bank for his his he was part of like one of the biggest guilds at the time. I think you told me about him. He when the guild eventually disbanded, he was left in charge of all of the items. He found someone that was willing to pay like six or seven figures, not seven figures, five or six figures. For all of the stuff that the guild had amassed, he sold it all, put the down payment on his first house, and then took every member of the guild on a trip, a all expenses paid trip to Las Vegas with <laughs> with the money that he made from selling his his EverQuest. Wow, account. yeah, but um, he apparently once managed to get an entire year of free internet from Comcast because he called up about an issue he was having, and he was. He was basically like, he was such a jerk to the person, to the representative he was talking to, that the person he was talking to cussed him out on the phone. He then immediately called that person's supervisor. And I don't know if that person got fired, but they gave him an entire year's worth of free, like best possible package of internet and cable and phone all for free. So I'm not saying that he is a good person, right? but- he he knows what he's doing. He knows how to push people's buttons. He is probably the purest example of a rules lawyer in game and out of game. <laughs> I, I would I would probably say if I interacted with him in in like out of out of this out of this context, I'd probably think he was a complete asshole. Yeah, yeah, excuse absolutely. My, excuse my French. You can bleep that out. <laughs> I, I it's I don't think I need to bleep out okay. three letter swear words. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, um, I again I don't think that Bob handled himself well at all, but. Trey is the DM. Trey's the one who's supposedly been playing the game for 30 years. He better be able to handle players being a jerk to him or at right. least know how to weed out those types of players. I just I, I just like that Bob like played him like even even with the like leaving the one characters the one guy's character behind like that was definitely like he I think he was primed for, to provoke him. He was he, Bob was playing a wizard uh-huh. who did not have any damaging spells. Okay. He in, relied entirely on, like, conjurations, okay. on illusions, on transmutations, stuff that allows him to control the battlefield without directly affecting anybody. He's a manipulative. He was. He's... Yes, he was. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, it's, it, it, it very much felt like, oh, okay, so this rule that is total, this policy that he had, that uh, Trey has is total crap. And he's giving me control of this other person's character. I'm totally gonna like. I'm gonna use it in the worst way possible to ex- to to you know highlight the issue with this policy. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> like that's that's amazing. And then and then it, and it totally worked because then he like he reacted to it in the worst way he probably could have. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um. Like I, heck, if it wasn't me, I probably would have suggest. I probably would have suspected Bob of trying to steal all the other players. And I, sure. I, I okay. feel bad for facilitating that, but like I wasn't doing anything wrong. I wanted to start a different type of game. I wasn't leaving because my issues with Trey. I was leaving because I wanted a different type of game. Mm-hmm. And Trey 
he forced everybody else out of the game. That's that was his fault. Yeah. 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 Now, I don't know how much I should go into this. I do have some ideas for why Trey was such a bitter, hateful person. Um, Should I go into it? I mean, he was not employed because I guess, according to what I've heard secondhand from some of his longtime friends, no names mentioned, uh, supposedly Trey injured his back on the job a long time ago. And as as a result, was like supposedly always suffering from back pain Mm. and... um, Possibly that could have led to, you know, him just having just I uh, mean, a short fuse. Cr- chronic pain can be very life-changing. That being said, there are also rumors that he was seen doing things that after the incident that he would not have been able to do were he in, in extreme sure. back pain. Could also be a lying jerk. Could be. I really don't know. I'm not really in a position to say why he was or wasn't a jerk. All I can say is that he was a jerk. Right. Very, very much so. Yeah. It, it, like when, when you when you when you encounter somebody who's that extreme in one in one way or in another, you always try to rationalize it somehow. Like, yeah, we always want to believe that it's not his fault. Sure. Or, or at the very least, you you want to know the explanation as it's not just like this this person just spawned out of nothingness and is just terrible. Like. Yeah, you, you want to believe in humanity, and like you want to, you want to believe that humanity doesn't just create nastiness. It something happens to somebody to become nasty, and it can be fixed. Maybe you know. Yeah. So, so you know, there's always that 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 thought of like, oh, there, maybe maybe you know, maybe he had a troubled childhood, something or other like that. Yeah. So, so I guess just if if I can provide some some learning advice from this, if sure. you're a DM. Please listen to your players. If you want to run a game where you can change the rules as you see fit, that is fine. Mm. Just make it clear to your players at the beginning. And if a player doesn't like that, you know, it's just not the game for them. It's 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 up to the player to understand that not every game is for them. It's up to the DM to understand that not every player is for them. And also, if you are the DM, try to be and, – and if you've been playing for a long time, try to be more understanding. Try to understand that maybe not everybody has been playing as long as you are, mm-hmm. as long as you have. Not everybody is as set in their ways as you are. So try to remember that. Yeah. Just try to listen to your players and don't treat your players like property. Sure. If, if someone else wants to take players from your group, well, uh, if that if a player leaves your group to join somebody else's game, then that means that they're not enjoying your game. Yeah. I'm not saying that, like, it's your... That, that, that you should feel bad or that, like, it is, quote, unquote, your fault. But the only reason somebody would leave one game to join another is because what that person wants is not being gotten from the game they are in. Mm-hmm. And that, that's not a problem. Like I yeah. said, not every player is for every group. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, that's that doesn't mean that they don't like you or they, you know, it's it's just. It doesn't mean anything is wrong with you. It's right. just that that player wants something different. Sure. So do not treat your players like. Like they owe you anything because they right. don't. They don't. They don't owe you anything. You don't owe them anything. Just try to remember that. Yeah. Just remember, it's a game. Yeah. If anyone is not having fun, someone has made a mistake. Yes. It's a is a cooperative game it involves yes. other people also playing the game, expecting to have fun. It's not. It's this is not some activity that you make for yourself by using other people. Exactly. So just try to remember that. So we've uh, we've gone a bit long. Do you um, do you have any um, examples of like a bad GM or a bad player? I mean, 
no, I have no specific, uh, no specific people in mind. Like there are, there are some incidents that I can, that I can maybe think of, but like for the most part, like I haven't, I haven't played with that many different people. Mm hmm. You know, most of the people I play with are my friends. And yeah. so, of course, because they're my friends, I like them and think, you know, think, <laughs> right, right. think it's, highly it's, of them. And, like, yeah. the, the reason why they're my friends is that they don't do crazy things like this. Right. The majority of the players I've played with, the, the only real issues I've had with players are just with players, like, either not being enthusiastic or not being willing to be flexible Stuff like that. Nothing really stands out nearly as much as the story of Trey and Bob mm-hmm. and Moo. Yeah, I mean, a couple examples. I mean, one one of one of which is Nick, and I don't necessarily want to speak ill of of, of Nick. Yeah, but no, I mean, he, there were yeah, I've I've had plenty of issues with Nick over the years. Right, and like you know, he's just one of those like the the one like the I think the one or two times I played with him, he was very much playing that character that was uh, like great at everything sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. He liked that. He liked to be the the most powerful, the most important character there, which I right. like I mean I can understand wanting to to be like you know, like you want your character to be really cool. I, know, I mean the like game that. is a power fantasy. Yeah, exactly. In, in, it is both power sure. and fantasy. Yes. <laughs> and um and in, in the case I guess in the case of uh, DM um uh, our our like our friend our, our friend Jay um uh ran a campaign and then uh, he Jay was really good at making making powerful monsters yeah yeah and uh and there was i think the case of uh he had made a like basically it was an exact counter to our party so he made up he made an enemy party of adventurers sort of uh, that was like the the exact opposite of ours so like so it's it's not that they had the same strengths it's that their strengths directly countered ours yes and like and like i think that's pretty cool and Mm -hmm. like in like in in hindsight, I think it's I think it's a lot cooler than I did at the time. Yeah, because because it's like okay, they taught us that you know instead of bashing my head against this counter like losing every time, actually now I'm thinking my playstyle in games like Overwatch where I do that exact thing. Now, <laughs> wow, thank you, Jay. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't want to say I would never consider Jay a worse DM no, by any no, by any no. means. Yes, let me let me yeah let me make that clear. In no way are these the worst. You right. Know, worst right. cases, obviously, Gabe has me beat on that in in <laughs> in a lot of ways here. Um, I'm not saying Gabe is. I'm saying his example of one. Right. Sorry. Right. But yeah, but yeah, there was a yeah, there was there was a case of me like going against like beating my head against this this character that was obviously meant to counter me, and like in my mind, I'm like I'm trying to find a, a way to a way around it, a way to beat him. Like in I guess that was like 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 self imposed like challenge was like I gotta I gotta figure out a way to do this. There's gotta yeah. be some way to do this. There wasn't a way to do it. <laughs> Jay Jay basically he changed an ability. He changed the mechanics of of an ability to make it so it could not be gotten around at least with my character. Yeah, and that made me frustrated because it was it was like like and. And it mostly made me frustrated because, like, in the battle, I was, like, I was racking my brain of how to do it. And then I was, like, wait, this is how I do it. And it didn't work. So, like, I like you have that realization of, like, aha, of course. And then it doesn't work. And you just – it was just very much, like, ah. Oh. The the example is, like, I had a character that was really just really good at attacking, basically. Like, yeah. he's just he – had, he had really good – he had a really good attack. Yeah. You would hit to, stuff and it would die. Yeah. It, to, to keep it simple. I can go into this character like I, I I still have all the notes on him anyway. Sure. Uh, but the guy to counter me had a very very high AC, ridiculously high. 
Couldn't get over it. Just couldn't hit him. If I could just hit him once, I could do something. <laughs> yeah. But I couldn't do it. So he had a, he had a shield and he threw his shield. And I don't know. Jay, Jay really liked to make uh, Captain yeah, America. Jay was a big fan of Captain America. Right. Yeah. yeah. He liked he liked that. But um, so I was like, oh, okay, yeah. He could throw. His, if he throws his shield, he doesn't have a shield anymore, and he has a lower AC, and I can hit him. Because in, if I'm not mistaken, this was a 3.5 game. Yes. In 3.5, a returning weapon such as like a shield being thrown or just like a returning weapon, you would use it once, and then it would return to you on the following round. Right. So I was like, okay, that's my opening. That's what I'm meant to do. That's what I like, you know, in video game logic, that's, that's the, that's like when you're fighting the boss and you, and there's like the flashing part on its body. You're like, oh, that's (laughs) the spot I'm supposed to hit. There it is. If this was a Dark Souls boss, that's exactly what you would do. You would wait for him to throw his shield and then go in and attack him. So I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And I went and did that and I rolled a really high, you know, what I had, like basically what I had calculated what his AC was at the mm-hmm. time. Cause I, I had been rolling, you know, this number and this number. And like, I think I maybe was, somebody was able to hit him or something. So I was like, okay, it's gotta be in that range there somewhere. Yeah. And I thought I did it. And he was like, no. And I'm like, wait, how? And he's like, oh, the shields, the shields, he has a shield. I'm like, but he threw it. And it's like, well, you know, Oh no, his shield came back immediately. Right. And so like, and so I got really, I just got really frustrated yeah. at, that, at that moment. And like, you know, and that, I don't think that's, a problem for him no. to make the shield do that. But yeah, it should have been a bit more well signposted. I guess, yeah. But the lesson was, and now I'm seeing it more and I should apply <laughs> it to myself more in the way I played to other games, is the way that that character was, um, the way that we were able to defeat that one in particular, I know, mm-hmm. is that Gabe's character was a mage, I believe, and cast maze on him. Oh, yeah. Was this, sorry, I'm I'm just putting this together. Was this the... The Lich Queen's beloved. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I was playing an Archmage in that yes. uh, in that little one shot. So Gabe Gabe was able to cast Maze on him, take, taking him out of the battle, so that we can then focus on all the other uh, all of the other. So that like instead of me banging my head against this guy, possibly literally, quite, yeah, quite literally, <laughs> almost. Uh, I think I had a hammer. Anyway, um, instead of me, yeah, just running at this guy and not doing anything, Gabe was just like, all right, let's just take him out of the battle for a minute, and then I was like, oh. There's all these other things I could be hitting yes. and and actually hitting because they're not made to to counter me exactly. Yeah. And so for, at that point, that's when the battle turned around. Like at the, that exact moment, it was, it was just so like, oh, right. And then we would just uh, like just went along with it. Yeah. So like, yeah, that is probably one of the more one of the more frustrating times I've had. And, you know, I mean, still had a good time. I Like I, I still remember that character I made. And like I'm, I'm always finding other books and things to like, oh, like oh, I could have used this feat instead of <laughs> sure, this feat sure. or I could have used this magic item. Like, why didn't I have four arms? <laughs> we should have an episode where instead of answering questions, we just bring in character concepts that we've wanted to play, but never got a <laughs> sure, chance. Sure. I think that would be a lot of fun. That could be, um, that could be another thing we can do in, uh, instead of, or along with like the dragon's horde. Maybe. Ooh, that's a good idea. So we could have a segment segment. Where that's it's like, you know, uh, but like a, just a character, a character. We, we have concept. to come up with a cool name for it, like Sir Barrington. Is Sir Barrington. <laughs> Sir Barrington. Uh, that's yeah. I'll have to. I'll put that in the show notes. That's sure. pretty good. Or I can bring it in another episode. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's that might be a good idea. If if someone wanted to let us know if that's a good idea or not, oh sure. How would they contact us? Oh right, the end of the episode. Right? Yes. Well, we could just. I think we could just go into the end okay. of the episode. So I think that'll do it for this. Uh, I think we only answered one question, but I think we had, we got a lot a lot so, out yes. of it. I, I figured we would. <laughs> 
I I have complained <laughs> about Trey on many message boards <laughs> over the years. In fact, as reference, instead of making notes for this, I I just brought up on Paizo.com, like from how long ago was this? Oh, this oh this uh, was a while ago. This was from 2011, six <laughs> six years ago. I complained <laughs> about uh, yeah. So so when I when I when him. I first asked this question, like uh, when we when we first started the question, Gabe, I saw Gabe like bring up a window on his computer here and it was and it was a very it was an entire screen's worth of posts yeah that's... yeah oh boy <laughs> <laughs> anyway so that'll do it for this this episode yes if anybody wants to uh, submit items or questions please email us at interpartyconflict at gmail.com for show notes a running list of questions asked or important links or to download the episode go to interpartyconflict.blogspot.com i also have on there a a list of all of the dragon's horde items oh, so if sure, you yeah. want to see the stats for an item that we've had in the dragon's horde you can go on there it's on like the right side of the of the screen gotcha please like us on facebook facebook.com slash interpartyconflict or go to our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash interpartyconflict i like to post uh, weekly discussion questions on there so if anybody wants to get questions from me go and check us out on there we're also on twitter at inpartyconflict and we're on itunes google play music stitcher youtube wherever you get podcasts please rate review and subscribe we really really appreciate the ratings we've gotten the reviews mm-hmm. it's been it's been awesome yes thank you and our music is made by box cat games from nameless the hackers rpg and until next time don't be a jerk <laughs> see you guys later bye <laughs>